This podcast is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash myth underscore podcast. Robots Radio presents Myth. The podcast where we explore the very soul of the human story. used to it by now. Traveling. A new town each night. You find the local inn. And it's always the same types of people. Everybody from the local farmers, the merchants, other travelers. And you've made a name for yourself. As soon as you walk through that door, People start murmuring. They know you're not from there. Maybe it's the bravado. But more likely, it's the gear that you're wearing. The small entourage. And the sword on your side. The murmur of the room dies down as you work your way over to the bar. Order some food and a drink. But you can hear them. Some whispers from the side point out your sword. And stories start to be told. That must be him. No. No, it can't be. Yes, but look at his sword. It's like the stories say. See the hilt? See the decorations on the scabbard? That must be him. And the tales make their way around the room. You hear the murmur of the locals recounting your exploits. And every time, every city, it's a little bit different. You know the real events of what happened. You know the wars you've served in. You know your place beside the king the things that you needed to do in order to protect, to serve. But the people, they like to tell stories. I heard he was at the battle, and if it wasn't for him, we would have lost. Oh, that's right, I heard something very similar. They say that he cut down a dozen men on his own. A dozen? It was more like 30, 30 men in the span of just minutes. Oh, it wasn't minutes. I hear that battle went on for days. And by the end of it, he was covered in blood and the only one left on the field with that sword he has right there in his hands. And you smirk to yourself. The stories get a little bit more ridiculous with every town. And you know what you did. Sure, you pulled your part. You survived. You fought. And yeah, you knew how to use that sword. And that's really what mattered. But you also knew that 
there wasn't anything special about that sword. And the only thing special about you was your training, your devotion, your commitment. But you were just one man. And you had the scars to prove it. If that sword wound on your shoulder had been three inches closer to your heart, you would have bled out on the battlefield. But instead, the armor took the blunt of the blow and you ended up with a scar. And there were many other situations that you've been in very similarly. It was as much skill as it was luck. And sometimes something else. As the night continued, the murmurs continued. The stories were told and recounted. And as the crowd became more and more intoxicated, the stories became more and more fantasful. At some point, you were riding on the back of a dragon and using your sword to slay creatures, foul, foul creatures of the night. Someone even claimed that the sword spoke, that it dictated how to win battles, that it negotiated with the enemy. What ridiculous things. But you weren't about to stop them from talking because you knew that there was value in the beliefs of others. You spent the rest of the evening talking with your entourage, chuckling and smirking at some of the conversation around you. And eventually, a boy, a young boy, was brave enough to run up and talk to you. He pulled on your sleeve and you looked down and he said, Mister, Mister, is it really you? And he smiled and said, Yeah, it's me. And he goes, well, No, no, you. Are you really the legendary warrior? Is that really the sword that killed three dozen men? And you looked him in the eye and you said, What do you believe? And the boy smiled and he said, I think that it is you. I think that it is you. Can I, can I touch the sword? And you said, sure, kid. You slid the sword out of its scabbard, the blade shining in the candlelight. You always made sure to keep your blade sharp. You knew that that was important and clean. And you decorated the hilt and the scabbard with your signature colors in order for people to recognize it. And you said, put your hands out. And you laid the sword flatwise across the boy's hands. Careful, it's sharp. The boy's eyes were so large. He said, wow, this is beautiful. Have you ever held a sword, boy? And the boy said, no. We have scythes on our farm, and those are sharp, but 
that's no sword. We have other tools that my father has used before in going to war, but simple spears and clubs. Nothing like this sword. And you smile, you pat him on the head, and you say, Well, that's probably for the better. This sword bears with it a heavy responsibility. I've used this to defend our lands and our lives. And the boy's eyes got even bigger and said, Wow, maybe one day I could be like you. And you looked at him and said, Well, maybe. Why don't you keep to farming, though? It's a safer life. When you're in my position, you have to know when to use your sword and when not to. You see that there? The flat of the blade? It's as important as the, the sharp side. And words can be the same way. The boy's eyes furrowed, trying to understand the meaning behind your words. Then he looked back up at you and said, Well, it sure is beautiful. And then the floodgates opened, and he started to ask all the questions that had been boiling up underneath. Is it true that it was a gift from the gods? Did you really kill that many men? Is it really called the Negotiator? Is that a good name for a sword? All of these things all at once. And before you can answer, a large, gruff, drunken man had gotten enough liquid courage to push the boy aside and look at you and say, Ugh, you don't seem so big. And he towered over you by a good eight inches. This was a large man. The boy was still holding your sword, and the man looked down at it and said, That's not so special. I've got my own sword, too. Let's see who's the better swordsman. And you responded, Friend, why don't you sit down and we'll have a drink, and I'll share some stories with you. But he wasn't interested in stories. He grabbed you by the collar, shook you a bit, and said, Why don't we see how tough you really are? The bartender leaned over, trying to dissuade him from tearing up the bar, and he said, Listen, you two go outside. I don't want any of that in here. And you agreed, and you said, Hold on, friend. Let's take it outside. And the place emptied out very quickly, formed a circle on the street, with the two of you squared off in the center. You'd taken back your sword from the boy, who stood very close on the side of the circle, excited to see what would happen, and a little afraid. And the man gathered up his items, his scabbard, drew his sword, and said, You're not much of a match, are you? And came at you without warning, this man was eager to prove himself. He knew that if he could take you on and defeat you in combat, he would be legendary among the others in his town. And you parried his first swing, 
It was hasty and unsteady and telegraphed, but he was strong and big. You parried the next swing, and you danced around the next. You moved in on him to see how he would react, and he easily pushed you back. You exchanged blow after blow, dodging, parrying, and although he was drunk, his hits were heavy. The sword in your hand came loose at some point, and you you snatched it back up from the ground and parried a quick blow coming at your head. And although the combat was difficult, the decision here of what to do was probably the hardest part. Do you fight back harder and cut down this man in his village? That never goes well. He probably has family, loved ones, children maybe. And then that turns into resentment and revenge, and you become the bad guy. But you know that you could. If you really laid into this man, you could take advantage of his state, your experience, and you could cut him down. Do you let him win? Well, does he take your life? Is he drunk enough to cut you down where you are? The furiosity of his attacks made it seem very likely that that would be the case. Do you yield? Would he even accept that? And if he did, what would that do for your reputation? You've been in situations like this before, and there's almost never a good way out. As the combat continued, your arms became tired, and he became tired as well. The blows came a little bit more slowly, a little bit less strong. And you had made up your mind. You yelled up, Good sir, I see that you are a match. You are a master swordsman. And you have proven your worth. We are equals on the field of battle. Why don't we share a drink? Two warriors, two equal warriors, sharing a drink together. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And he didn't want any of that. He said, no, I will best you. And you took your sword with your left gloved hand and held it by the blade and let go of the hilt and said, good sir, I am not interested in ending your life. So as a sign of peace, I am now an unarmed man. I have bestowed my sword to the boy. And you hand it out for the boy. And he grabs it by the hilt, his eyes wider than they were when he was inside the bar. And you let go. And you say, would you cut down an unarmed man? The boy now owns my sword. And you won't fight the boy, would you? And he looks at you and says, <laughs> An unarmed man, you're too afraid to continue. You can't stand against me. I deserve this victory. And he raised his blade above your head, ready to cut you in half. And in that moment, you weren't looking at the man 
with his sword ready to come down on your head. Your eyes moved to the boy, and you nodded. And at that moment, the boy realized the sharp or the flat of the blade. And you heard a sound come from the man's mouth, a sort of, ugh, as he crumpled to the ground. The boy stood behind the man. The crowd gasped, and the boy said, I couldn't let him cut you down. You, you didn't do anything wrong. I had to protect you, because that's what you would have done. That's what you've done with this sword. You gave me the sword. Did I... I, I did the right thing, right? And you looked at him, and you looked at the back of the man's head, now unconscious on the ground, and noticed that there was no cut. And you smiled at the boy and said, Yes, you used the flat of the blade. That was the right choice. The next morning, you and your entourage headed off. You gathered your horses, your wagon. And in the back of the wagon, you opened up the door. You dressed yourself for the travel. And you took another sword that looked just like the first. Put it on your side and left the town. I love the stories in mythology of not just the heroes, the gods, the warriors, but their weapons. And everybody knows about King Arthur's Excalibur or Thor's Mjolnir, the hammer that he uses in battle, which of course has become made famous from the Marvel comics and movies. But there are others. There are other magical, powerful weapons, which in many cases are just as famous as the individuals who wielded them. And there's a number of different stories around these weapons. And maybe in a future episode, I will go into some of the background and some of the stories. But there's one that I want to call out specifically at the end of this episode. And you may not have heard of it. Ninurta's Sharur is probably the grandfather of all of these mythical, magical weapons. And I apologize if I get some of the names wrong as I call out these things. And I've, I've mentioned that before. These, these names are ancient. They come from cultures and languages that I don't speak, so I'll do my best to pronounce them as, as best I can. But the god Ninurta is an ancient, ancient god. And we talked about Marduk and some of these Mesopotamian gods in, the, I believe it was the very first episode of this podcast. And uh, Ninurta is also pronounced Ninjirsa is another one of these ancient Mesopotamian gods, a figure who is at least, at least 4,000 years old, probably older than that. And Ninurta is associated with farming and healing, hunting, law, scribes, and 
war. Ninurta was worshipped in ancient Sumer, an ancient Sumerian god. And this is one of the influences for the story I have, because Ninurta was known for having a very special weapon, the Sharer, which means, in the original language, Smasher of Thousands. And this was the symbol of this god. These Sumerian mythic sources describe this as an enchanted mace. And not just a regular mace, but one that spoke. It was talking. This object may have been the precursor to, to what could be any of these other stories, any of these other pieces of lore, of mythology that we get. And this weapon, of course, is ridiculously magical. This is the weapon that Ninurta used to defeat Asog, who was a monstrous demon. Ninurta fought the demons, kept them at bay, protected the people. And this weapon was known to be able to fly across vast distances. Think about Mjolnir, Thor's hammer. And it was also able to communicate with its wielder. It could speak. And in these old tales, it even provided intelligence to the hero. It acted as an emissary. It spoke and it conveyed its wielder's will. It was almost as if this was a character in the story as important as any other secondary character in these old stories. And there's a side note here. I love the idea of inanimate objects speaking in old myths. This actually happens a lot. One of my favorite moments of a talking inanimate object, and, and again, this is just a side note, is from the apocryphal gospel of, I believe it was Thomas. And if you're familiar with Christian stories with the New Testament, then you're familiar with the, the tomb of Jesus. After Jesus is crucified, he's put in a tomb. And in some of the versions of the story, there is a boulder and sometimes there's even a cross. And when the boulder is rolled away, whoever shows up at the tomb to realize that Jesus is no longer there. And it actually varies depending on the, the gospel that you read. Actually, in the Bible itself, it actually varies depending on the gospel. But in the gospel of Thomas, the the cross outside the tomb responds to the person who says, oh, Jesus isn't, isn't even here. And the cross responds by saying, yay, or yes, or yay, verily, depending on the translation, right? So the cross itself is a side person perspective character who responds to what's happening in the moment, I guess, and can speak. How does this make sense, right? Well, th this is one of those things that goes back to these ancient pieces of mythology where the idea of the spirit of the thing has to be conveyed in a way. And sometimes the writers convey that in a way in which the object itself speaks with words. And my sense of this is that the soul of the message, the, the feeling underneath the object itself is being represented in a way. And so this is something I used for the story 
that I told at the beginning of this episode. This idea that the sword itself was a communicator. The sword didn't speak in my story. Or did it? Was the message of the weapon inherent in the way the weapon was used? In the reputation that the weapon had, which it inherited from the person who used it because of the way it was used, protecting others, serving the people, negotiating. And I have a feeling that many of these old stories actually go back to that kind of concept, this idea that the descriptions themselves, even if they are fantasiful, that's the right way to say that, uh, are, are connected to the, the concept of the user, the concept of the person. They are extensions and descriptions of the soul of that person. And when I use the word soul, I'm not referring to a spirit that goes to a better place when they die. I'm talking about the boiled down essence of that person. The thing that makes them them. The thing that stands out. That separates them from everything else around them. I believe that one of the best things about literature, one of the best things about mythology, and one of the things that plays into our understanding of these characters is getting to the true essence of who they are their soul and the way that that is described in these stories and many times this comes across magical but all of these magical descriptions point back to communicating the essence the soul of that person they're not necessarily meant to be taken literally they are meant to communicate something that would otherwise be a lot harder to wrap your hands around. But what do you think? Have you ever wondered how deep the Elder Scrolls lore rabbit hole goes? Have you got a grasp of the basics and want to find out more about the universe? Written in Uncertainty is here to help you. We'll be mixing in philosophy, theology, and whatever other theory is useful with Elder Scrolls texts to untangle some of the biggest questions in the series, like what are Dragon Breaks, how does Chim work, where did the Dwemer go, and more. Check us out at writteninuncertainty.com or find Written in Uncertainty on any podcatcher. Thanks for listening, and catch you later in the grey maybe of Tamriel. So thank you for tuning into this episode of Myth. I am your host, Tom, and I appreciate you guys tuning in every week. And I also appreciate you sharing the show with your friends, leaving ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcatcher you listen to, and sending me notes. You can always reach out to me. There's information at the end of the show or in the show notes of how you can do that. And I love to hear from you guys. I would love to hear some other thoughts you have on some of the episodes that I've put out there or even some thoughts on where you think I should take the show and some of the stories or concepts that you think are interesting that you'd like to me, me to highlight about either mythology or he, the human soul, <laughs> the essence of who we are, any of those concepts, science, history, any of these things that connect together to better 
describe and get to the true essence of who we are and what makes us human. So thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to talking to you again next week. And until then, stay safe out there. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Myth. If you'd like to send us a note, we'd love to hear from you at myththepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at podcastmyth. If you'd like to support the show, please tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes. Or if you'd like to help us out financially and experience an ad-free version of the show, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash myth underscore podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. Do you like adventure? Yeah. Do you like laughing? Uh, yeah. Would you like to listen to a group of people you don't know play D&D and reference retro pop culture you vaguely remember? Um... Excellent. You're going to love Committee Quest. We play D&D in the world of Amarin. We use adventure modules and supplements made by people in the community. We also have a sweet synthwave backing track. Come and join us on our adventure. Volume 1 has been completed. Volume 2 coming the end of January. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from.